think, yes, and we're going to jump into all that. Um, I am very excited for it, and I hope you guys will come. But if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Miss Amanda Jordan was going to read it, and I think that she saw this list of names and got sick, and so uh, I told David I would because I don't want to spring a list of names on someone with five minutes notice. So when you get there, if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, and we will read Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah, his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah and Tam by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aaron, Aaron fathered Abinadab, Abinadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jatham. Jatham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah, and Josiah fathered uh, Jacob and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jacob fathered Shilto, Shilto fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abiah, fathered Elikim, Elikim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Achim, Achim fathered Aluid, Aluid fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Mathen, Mathen fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all may be seated. And uh, hopefully that will encourage some of y'all to sign up for that scripture reading. See, even I stumbled through some of those names. And after next week, we're not going to be doing names that much, so it'll be a lot easier. Right? So this week we're going to look at the life of King David. Right? And King David is one of those people, right, if you've only ever seen a church, maybe you haven't even been inside of one, you know of King David. He's one of those people that we culturally know about. He wasn't the first king of Israel, but he was the best king of Israel. If you don't know his story, he first pops up in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, to be in fact. If you want to go and read that later on, that's where you start, and you just kind of read a long time. And, you, know, you want to sit down and read everything. It's not like Ruth that you can read in a 25 minute sitting. He goes on for a while, and he's well known, right, because... Through him, we also have this Davidic promise that the one who was coming, this Messiah that people were longing for, would sit on the throne of David forever and ever, which Christ does. But in Acts 13, 22, we can read these words of David. It says that when he had removed him, he raised up David. When he removed Saul, right? 
He raised up David to be their king, to be the king of Israel, of whom he testified. God testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do my will. Man, if there's going to be something said about me by God, I would love for God to go, man, he's after my heart. Right? I mean, to, to be after the very heart of God, because we all have those people, they might follow the rules, but if, if they're after your heart, but yet, did you guys catch when we mentioned David in this genealogy how worded and David fathered Solomon by his lovely bride that he uh, was faithful to and great to and was just a... No, he fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. And if you're not familiar with these stories in the Old Testament, all you know about David is the felt board in Sunday school and him killing Goliath. Right? You think he's this hero of heroes, which, by the way, he wasn't some kid with a stone. Those old slingers, they were actually the archers of these armies, and they could throw a rock through someone's skull, just throwing that out. I always thought it was a kid with a slingshot. <clears throat> It says, Father, Solomon, by Uriah's wife. And if you go back and read 2 Samuel chapter 11, this is this account, right? When everyone is out at war, and David was a man of war. He was a king who was for his people and fought for his people. He was a picture of Christ because Jesus is a better David who fights for his people. But yet David gave in to, I'm just going to sleep in this time. It says that he awoke on his couch near midday. And I don't know about y'all, but if I ever have those days where I'm on my couch around midday, right, if I'm not sick, I'm like, man, I probably need to, to do something with myself. Right, that old saying, idle hands make devils play. And he goes up on his roof and he sees this woman and he says, no, you're going to be mine. And he takes her, and you can go and read all of that story. And at the end of it, one chapter later, we get this prophet named Nathan who comes and he tells him this story. Hey, there was this guy who had all of these sheep, and there was this poor man with one sheep. And this rich man stole the one sheep and killed the guy, because that's what David did to Uriah. And David goes, find this man, because he deserves death. And Nathan, the prophet, imagine just, the, I mean, he had to be filled with the Spirit of God to be able to look at this king and say, you are the man. You did it. This wicked man who you even said deserves death, you're the man. And it's easy to look at that and say, man, that is sinful. So how is he a man after God's own heart? Right, because if you're just reading the story, I mean, he blew it, and this wasn't the only time. In the New Testament, we can read of Paul, the Pharisee, or Saul. You know, we always say that God changed his name, but if you actually read Acts, he just had a name he would use in Jewish cities, and a name he would use in Roman cities. He went back and forth. But when he was a Pharisee, in Philippians chapter 3, we have the words of Paul, and he's talking to these people that are saying, well, man, I'm good enough, right? And they're boasting. They say, man, I have a right. Like, look, and we pat me on the back on being a good Christian boy. And Paul writes, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have 
more. <clears throat> Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor to the church. And this line always got me. Because as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I did everything right. I, I dotted every I. I crossed every T. And I even dotted the lowercase j's because people seem to miss those. Right? Like, he was the guy, if we're honest, if we were in first century Palestine, right, we would have looked at Paul and said, that's the guy, right? I want him to be on my deacon board. I want to go to his church. He's the guy I want to follow after. He got it right. And so often when we think of men after God's own heart, we look at these men, right? The men that seem to have it all together on the outside. The men that seem to never break a rule, right? Never step out of bounds. But it's interesting, those are usually the people that keep you 10 feet away, right? Because I can look real clean if you don't look at my windows. Right? I can look real clean if you don't get close and do life with me. But he doesn't stop there. <clears throat> Paul continued there in Philippians 3. He said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And if you look at that Greek word, he actually used the vulgar word for manure. Some commentators think he actually purposely used the vulgar word to get some shock value. Like, hey, listen up. I count it as manure. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through Christ. And see, I think this is why David was called a man after God's own heart, because when Nathan confronted him, he didn't go, well, you don't know the full story, or well, if you understood, well, she was really coming on to me, right? Because what do we do? If you're anything like me, when the Holy Spirit or God forbid, when someone else comes and confronts me with my sin, I want to defend myself. Or I want to act like I've gone to law school. No, no. Let me tell you why it was okay. It wasn't as bad as you thought it was. But yet David doesn't do this. When David is confronted with his sin, he pins these words in Psalms chapter 51. If you want to write them down and go read these later. He's confronted with his sin. It's brought before his eyes. He can't hide anymore. He can't run away. And he pins these words. Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. He doesn't say, God, I wasn't rebellious. He goes, no, I was blotted out. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sins. For I'm conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned. I might have written that one different, but this is inspired by the Spirit, right? Not that evil in your sight. You are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. Right? 
He didn't run away, right? What made him have this heart after God is that he ran towards God in those moments of sin. Now, I'm not saying don't pursue holiness. Absolutely. Christ said, be holy as I am holy. But when David sinned, he just ran towards God. It reminded me of another story, one told by Christ himself in Luke 15, that there was this younger brother, and he said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. And he went and he squandered it in such a way that, right, it's easy to say, of course he would love that prodigal when we read the story, and yet how often when we act like prodigals or when we see prodigals, do we, do we love them from 10 feet away? We've all done it. I've done it. And this prodigal, he rehearsed, he finally got this place where he goes, man, if I, my dad, he might hire me on just as a slave. I'm not worthy to be a son. He's rehearsing this. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough speech. And then the dad busts out the front door and runs down the lane. And he grabs his boy and he goes, no, my son, who was dead, is now alive. And he takes off. Most commentators and theologians believe it wasn't just a ring. It was a signet ring. And he slides it on that son's finger and he goes, no, we're going to kill the fatted calf for my son who was dead is alive. See, when David was a man after God's own heart, because he, yes, he sinned greatly, but he knew what it was like to run back down the road and be wrapped up by a father to say, I forgive you and you are covered in the grace of one yet to come. When writing about this particular parable that Christ taught us, the author Henry Newman wrote these words. Although claiming my true identity as a child of God, I still live as though the God to whom I am returning demands an explanation. I still think about his love as conditional and about home as a place I am not yet fully sure of. While walking home, I keep entertaining doubts about whether I will be truly welcomed when I get there. As I look at my spiritual journey, my long and fatiguing trip home, I see how full it is of guilt about the past and worries about the future. I realize my own failures and know I have lost the dignity of my sonship. But I am not yet able to fully I'm not yet able to fully believe that my failings are great. Grace is always greater. Still clinging to my sense of worthlessness. I project for myself a place far below that which a son belongs. And how often do we do the same thing? How often do we act the opposite of David, right? How often when we sin and we are in our brokenness, can God look at us and say, you are one after my own heart? See, because David could be called a man after God's own heart because David was a man who came to understand that the heart of God is bent like a bow at his children and the arrow is grace. David was a man after God's own heart, because he not because he never sinned, but because he came face to face with just how sinful he was. And when he did, he did not run away in shame, but he ran towards God. God, cover me. God, forgive me. God, wash me. In fact, if you look, some of the things that are mentioned in that psalm are promises that are made. He goes, God, you said, this is on you. Have you ever been at that place where you're so broken and you're praying and you go, God, I don't know, but your word says 
look through the scriptures how often it says, you know, God says, it says for your name's sake. When the children of Israel brought out of Egypt, it says, no, God, for your name's sake, you've got to save them or they'll mock you and say you're a God who isn't true. We all love the 23rd Psalm, another psalm by King David. And David writes in that one, for your own name's sake, lead me in paths of righteousness. And there are times that I pray, God, I am broken, I am tempted, and for your name's sake, hold me. For your name's sake, preserve me. Don't let those friends of mine I'm praying for mock you because I'm tempted. Don't let them mock you because I'm wrestling. No, God, for your name's sake. And how often I can tell you, when I pray scripture back to God, he shows up. See, some of us get upset with God because he's not doing something he never promised he would. But he promised he would be with us. And yet maybe some of us don't revel in the grace of God because when we think of sin, we think of something that was long ago and far away, a testimony that I used to have. The author and late Pastor Tim Keller once said this, and I love it. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever dared hope. May I ask you all, when is the last time you got the point that you just meditated on the goodness and the greatness of the cross, that we can run to God even when we're sinful and broken. Even those little sins, even that moment of pride or doubt, or as Paul says, when you eat or drink, do anything to the glory of God. So there's a way that you can enjoy a Sunday night dinner and it is worship, and there's a way you can do it as sin. If we really understood we were that sinful, then we would... Be up here worshiping. Look at how great the cross is. See, admitting how broken we are doesn't make us look worse. It just makes Jesus look better. So I'm going to ask you this week, meditate on just how beautiful that cross is. Examine your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit. Go, Spirit, there's sin in my heart. Show me because I don't want it there. And when he does, just run to Jesus. And as that prodigal son found out before you even get home with your curse speech, there will be a father who lifts you up in his arms and says, my boy, my girl, I've been waiting for you. I printed this out. I was going to read it, but I knew that we had the cantata. I didn't want to go that long. And uh, by the time I realized, well, I've got to keep that part of the quote, I've got to keep that part of the quote, turned out to three pages. And I don't want to read that for you now, but I'm going to leave some of these on the front pew. And I'm going to ask that you would take one of these and read it. It's uh, from a sermon preached on September 13, 1885, in Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England, by one of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon. And it is just three pages on the beauty and the glory of the cross. The greatness of the cross. The need of the cross. In this Christmas season, yes, we sing of the little Lord Jesus. But do not forget, it was the little Lord Jesus. And he came to lay down his sweet head to die. So glory in it. Let it, like David, bring you to tears 
First of confession, but I promise if you go to God with tears of confession this holiday season, you will leave his presence with tears of joy. I promise that is true. So if you would, we're going to close. I know I'm going, hey, I'm still three minutes hungry. I'm going to go that long. <laughs> if you would, we're going to close. We're going to see a little town of Bethlehem. And as Miss Cornelia comes to the piano, it's hymn number 230. And it's, we're just going to see the first stanza that's printed here in the bulletin as well. But I'm just going to ask that as she's getting settled, just take a moment. I just, just picture yourself there at the foot of the cross. That cross that shows, yes, you are a dirty, rotten sinner. Even those of you that grew up in church, even those of you that have been in church 30 years. Man, once you realize how bad you are, how great is Jesus that he forgave you fully, freely, forever. And worship him for it. He takes away all your sin, all your sorrow. Because that's what we celebrate Christmas. Because he came to make everything sad become untrue. If you would stand as we sing, and please remain standing for our benediction. But if you would, please go with these words of blessing from St. Paul in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to advise the obedience of faith among the Gentiles to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be all the glory forever, world without end. Amen. Go in peace, beloved.